For too many years, families of children with devastating illnesses have felt helpless as they watched their child suffer. Today, they're taking matters into their own hands and finally finding relief, treating their child with cannabis. These are their stories. another episode of Love and Cannabis. I am Nina Simmons. And I am Osiris Steffen. And we are the proud parents of Aiden Steffen. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Love and Cannabis. Hello, hello, hello. Hey, we have a special guest tonight. But yes. Before- Yes, we. I'm. I'm really excited about this. Um, we're longtime friends. We've worked together. We've known each other for ten years, and so this is going to be a special night. Before I get started, please tune into our show. We're on MJ uh, MJ Bulls. I'm sorry, MJ Bulls. Tune in and get some new and updated uh, information about us and what we're up to, and also all our excited guests that we're going to have. Yes. So, my guest is currently in her doctorate of philosophies in social work at Delphi University in New York. And she's also has experience working in charter schools, as well as working with young adults and children at risk on ages between 10 to 20 years old. And she's also looking to work with adults and has her own private practice. I just want to welcome a special friend, someone I'm, like I said, known for years and is really, really up and coming in what she's doing, Alicia Wilson. Hello, hello, hello. Hey, Alicia, how are you? I'm doing great. You know, I feel like this is a time where you could complain and I can't complain. So all is good. Yeah, wonderful. It's been quite some time since we've last seen each other and really had uh, a lot of fires to put out uh, from our background. (laughs) You mean running after kids? (laughs) Running after kids. If you're not running after kids, you're running after the parents. (laughs) (laughs) I could only imagine what you're dealing with right now. So share with us what is it you're currently involved in and what is it that you're you're doing and what you plan on doing down the road absolutely well i actually am currently supervising uh 37 school social workers um throughout the brooklyn area of new york city These are social workers in settings, kindergarten through 12th grade. Um, I provide clinical supervision, help the schools create policies, and really just connect with families um, so that there's that relationship between the school and the family. Uh, outside of that, as you said earlier, I do have a private practice. I mean, I've been a social worker at heart for as long as we've known each other and even though I'm supervising, I realized that I still wanted to be a part of the direct practice. So I decided to open up my own. And I have about, right now, maybe about 21 clients. Uh, and that's from anywhere from post-traumatic stress disorder to dealing with anxiety or another type of mental illness. Um, and, you know, I'm Jamaican, so we always got like three or five jobs. You know, two times out of the week, I also teach at um, Adelphi. I teach a criminal justice class. Oh, really? Wow. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. So that, that's my background in a nutshell. 
trying to finish up my PhD. I want to get that out of the way. I need to just end that that side of me and continue on. So I'm working on that. Well, good looking. Congrats. Oh, my God. You've done so much in such since we last spoke. Do you work uh, with mainly on your private practice? Is it mainly adults or is it uh, children? So, great question. I would say predominantly adults, but I have a few children. The youngest is nine years old. Wow. Who with um anxiety mm-hmm. I, yeah i have uh two teenagers one is 15 the other one is 17 and then else is uh 24 and up you know what it's interesting because i recall some years ago when i like wow no i'm not gonna say how long but some <laughs> way back in the <laughs> way back when i worked and when i was actually undergrad i worked at a um a group home a residential treatment center for young people but it was a young man I was working with. He was about 10, 11 years old. He witnessed his father killing his mother. Yeah. And that stayed with him. He was like never the same. You know, he lost both parents and he was getting, um, you know, basically psych evaluations. He was on medication. It was just like he was so traumatized. And I that was my first time, ex- you know, meeting or working with a young man who had to tr- be in a situation like that, such an early age, I can only imagine what they go through. Like, do you have clients like that, that experience something that extreme? Oh, definitely. I have, you know, clients that have had some type of terrifying event, you know, even something as small as child having a horrific asthma attack and get into the hospital and they had actually had the wrong name of the child. They used the child's middle name as his first name. So the mother spent about an hour trying to find her child. And because of that, now she always has this anxiety, like what happens if he has an asthma attack while he's at school and they try to reach me and they can't reach me or something happens at the hospital. Um, and it just causes this over provoking stress that she sometimes can't deal with. Um, and I think because of that, a lot of times she's like, I don't want to let my child go. Just let him stay with me. Who can take better care of him than myself? Yeah, that's true. The mother. And it's those, you know, it's those kind of experiences that sometimes really cause them to just, whether it's nightmares, just panic attacks. Panic attacks are real for people. Um, yes, I've experienced them. Yeah, and if you don't know what it is, you may think you're having a heart attack. True, true. The sweats, the heart palpitations. Yeah. yeah absolutely. And then just finding ways, how do you cope with that? How do you get yourself to relax? What are good coping strategies for you? Because today this coping strategy may work, but tomorrow that same one doesn't work. So having that list of coping strategies that you can use um, throughout your life is, is very helpful. And then just being able to name what gives you anxiety, because at least if you- it triggers. Right. Then you can more prepare yourself for it. Got it. I'm glad you mentioned that because a lot- I mentioned in the episodes that I definitely um, suffer from anxiety and depression as well. Yeah. Um, all the things that it would aid in, like seeing vicious seizures, the, hospi- the hospitalizations. Yes. Um, dealing with different doctors, having to run around from here to there. Like, in a way, I feel like it's almost like post-traumatic stress. It is. It is, absolutely. So and I, I, even if he's okay, he's much better. I'm still remembering what happened in the past. 
Yeah. And then Osiris is like, that's the past. Why don't you just let it go? And I'm and he's not that easy. I don't know if it's easier for men to do it. Are you finding men it's easier for them to let go things in the past than women? No, I, I actually don't agree with that. I actually think men have panic attacks as well, but sometimes they can't connect it as that. They may just I'm stressed. They may go to the gym and work it out. They may ignore it by laughing it off or just going to sleep. I don't acknowledge it as much as we do. Um, men are also emotional uh, creatures, but sometimes don't connect these things as panic attacks because it's like I'm macho. Uh, I'm not dealing with that. And it's mm. actually named for them. Then they're like, wait, no, I did experience that, but I didn't know it was a panic attack. And, you know, yeah. how often are you going to find that uh, a man is going to willingly and openly go and speak to the doctor about some of these things or even go to a therapist and talk about it? So, Many times they're walking around with it, not even knowing that they're actually experiencing those things. As a man, I can attest to that. I can confirm that. <laughs> I can really, I, I think for men, it's an ego thing because, again, if you, it's like two things. Either you have a father that teaches you how to cope with things like this, or right. you don't have a father in your life, so you don't know that you have to cope with these things. Absolutely. So so you kind of disregard them and say, ah, it's not something we want to deal with or know how to. I say it's not a matter we don't want to deal with. We just don't know how to because we don't recognize. We don't understand what it is. Absolutely. We just think it's something. It's just something. Women go through those things and that's it. So we pass it on. Yeah. I mean, I think slowly but surely we are moving from our generation of men can and shouldn't cry to now it's more acceptable, be open with your emotions. But if I've had so many years of someone saying to me as if I was a male, you know, don't act like a girl. Like, what are you doing? Like, check yes, yes. that out. Um, then it's kind of this, even if I am emotional, um, as a man, many times they want to hold it back because they're like, wait, is this right? Should I do this? Uh, I think I'm not manly. I think we are yeah. starting more and more move from that direction. Like I was so happy um, to see so many athletes openly show their emotions when we unfortunately lost Kobe. Um, yes, yes. Anyway, because I felt like it gave that signal of it's okay to still be a man, to still be LeBron James and cry and, and be emotional. Um, and we don't always get to see that uh, for our male figures. That That is true. I would have to agree because uh, I've told Nina this once before because I haven't cried in years over much of anything because I've had so many losses in my life when I was young. And into yeah. my twenties, you know, I've had experience so much, and I'm like, I'm all cried out, <laughs> not like the song, but I'm like, I just, I just, it, like it did sound like, <laughs> yeah, these yeah. let it cult jail, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's just that you reach a certain point, like, why, why shed these tears anymore? And it, it's, it's, I think the, I, I'll have to say that I'm not gonna say I think, but the most recent time that I did cry, I would have to be honest is that when Aiden had his um, one major seizure and he was mm -hmm. running through the hall and he fell. And I'm in the kitchen, I hear this thump and I look down the ground and he's shaking. Yeah. And I'm trying to snap him out of it. And it's like that moment where I felt so weak and helpless 
I did not know what to do. I literally froze holding him, trying to figure out what to do. I think that was that moment where I'm like, okay, I can cry. Yeah. And the thing, and for a man, you don't want to ever feel helpless. You never want to feel weak. You want to, you don't want to feel like you have no way out of any situation. You want to be able to be on top. You always want to be in control of your elements. But the time that you lose it, it's like you feel vulnerable. And I think at that moment, I was vulnerable because I couldn't come up with any answers or any way of so. Because that's what we do. Naturally, men want to solve a problem. Absolutely. And at that moment, I couldn't solve squat. <laughs> so you I know, had to, to cry. No, it, it absolutely happens. And I think, you know, we all learn when you do cry, it's a release of something. It's, it's being yeah. Let it go and, and wash it off. And you find many times, not all the time, but when someone isn't able to cry or they hold it back, that eventually turns into anger because that's all that negative energy that's just stuck inside and there's nowhere for it to go. So what happens? You get to a boiling point and it tips over. The powder keg, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find, I know in do you find that sometimes... Say the male. Our relationship? Hold on. Yeah, so the male doesn't cry. <laughs> but then the male feels almost like a resentment that the woman's crying. Like, why don't you be why are you crying? Just be stronger. Oh, yeah, suck, suck it up. Manning up. Manning up. Is that you know? women manning up? Hold on. Why can't women man up? <laughs> they do. They do. Because eventually they handle the issue, but they got they understand that there's the emotion that they got to let go of first. Mm -hmm. That's true. I, I really believe that women have a better way of handling emotions than men. I think so. Because yeah. you train, you're allowed to express it because that's expected. True. For yeah. men, we bottle up and don't know. That's why we're more violent at times because we have no way of channeling it. True. We're not, you know, men are not socialized to. It's why I a lot of times get upset with parents when they tell their young boys, don't cry. What are you doing? And I'm like, oh, don't don't say that. Let let them cry. It's OK. It's OK. Talk to them about it after. But don't tell, you know, a, a young man or a young boy, don't cry. At what age do you <laughs> stop telling him that? <laughs> I, mean, I think it's a fine line. I think what Osiris says is sometimes when they're younger, like they're crying as like a way of getting out of things. Getting out. So it's hard to discern sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, and you're right with that. I think there's a difference. I think more yeah. uh, what I'm getting at is it's an event that's an emotional event and you feel that the child could have been affected by it. I oh. think. To, to definitely cry. I definitely agree also with the, you know, the tough love, like dry your eyes, wipe yourself off and get back up and do it. I'm talking more yes. about emotional connection and okay. it's okay to release that. Oh yeah, I know. Okay. Yeah. Like, like say a death of a family member yeah. or, or, or something or, they lose. Or something you're upset, maybe you were being bullied, stuff like that. It, yeah, you know, absolutely. That's right. some different. Yeah, that's some different. But if you're crying because you don't want to do your homework. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely not. No, nope. we are not contributing to the little temper tantrums. No, nope. get get rid of that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So now you're in Brooklyn. Well, you've always been there, and you're <laughs> right, and you're seeing this quarantine. What has changed as it relates to your work? Because, uh, we, you know, in nature, 
we not we're not really supposed to be locked down like this. I mean, I could only imagine if you worked with prisoners and they're put in solitary confinement. They even say it's inhumane. So could you imagine a you know a healthy adult without a record is you know basically asked to stay in their home and not leave? Are you seeing a lot of people who are just like losing it over it? I am see you know it's interesting. I see several different factors. I see the ones that are realizing that they have no real social support, uh, no one that they can really kind of call and just say, hey, or have someone that's checking in on them. And then they're just like, wow, I really live like a lonely or isolated life. Oh, yeah. Wow. And it's, and it's really wondering, like, how did I cut off? all of my friends and family that no one's checking in on me or I'm going through my phone and I can't even figure out who I could text or call at this moment. Um, And I think that's causing people to reflect on some of the things that they have done in their past and how that might have contributed to cutting people out of their lives. Uh, So I think that's one that I get a lot of. I think I also, you know, get the individual who just as realizing like, I just don't love myself and having to be with myself all day is just not fun. And I'm like the first person that you gotta be happy to be around is yourself, right? You gotta mm-hmm. love you. Um, and maybe this is a time where you're really working on yourself so that you can love yourself and enjoy that time. Um, and then the third, which I think is the highest, I would say is the ones that are panicking. Um, and part of that panic also because they spend 24 7 watching the news watching yes. and it's, it's 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 killing them because that's all they're taking in so that panic just heightens are you seeing like people wanting like uh, to commit suicide or thoughts i'm seeing i'm seeing two things that are happening I won't necessarily say suicide as much as I would say that there is an increase in depression. And because there's an increase in depression, I need to see the results of going to substance abuse or drinking. And then on the other end, which we're starting to see in the news, I have a few married couples and I am seeing um, if it's not fully domestic violence, is in that direction of like that negative communication, the constant yelling, uh, the not really talking to each other. Those are kind of the the pathways that I'm seeing amongst the individuals that I deal with. Um, if I do see suicide, it's not so much my private package, but maybe families that are dealing with the loss of a family member, and that person was like the breadwinner. Oh. Um, I, what what do we do? Or trying to pay for burial and funeral arrangements and don't have that kind of money. Yes. Oh my God. And that's so funny. Right before I, I worked in a school, right before we left, you know, it was uncertain on how long we were gonna be out and it wasn't uncertain if we were coming back. And one of my colleagues was like, We have to come back to work because my husband got laid off Yeah. Yeah. I was concerned. I was like, she's probably not telling me everything, you know? Yep. And I was like, wow. 
Because sometimes a lot of couples don't really see each other. Like, I know families that the mom works during the day and, and then the husband works at night. So that's not a lot of time, you know? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Of interactions. So, yeah. So, so then <laughs> to go from that to this. Yeah, but that's interesting. It's almost like two strangers are finally met. Like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, you're my husband. I'm your wife. So um, what do you want to do? <laughs> it's like their first time and now they're figuring out like what do we talk about we've never really talked this much in our lives exactly. like, that is <laughs> crazy that is so quick now as part of like what you're seeing other than the the violence or the leading to violence have you seen also there's a ramp of like sexual abuse is there been like more aggressive behaviors on either side Aggressive behavior in regards to you said sexual abuse. Yes. No, I I can't say I really um, experienced that. I think more so what I've experienced is maybe more uh, physical or just get away from me. You go in one room, I get in another room. Um, you can know, I'll say more. There's probably lack of sex than there is actual sexual abuse. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So we, we, we need therapy. Yeah. <laughs> 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 well, since Stop. you're here, <laughs> we'll flip the show for a second. <laughs> do you all, when you're in practice, do you recommend or do you prescribe any, um, I guess, any drugs? Because cannabis has been used. Cannabis is being used now to treat PTSD and other ailments that people suffer from, like depressions and, you know, anything psychological. And i um, wondering, have you had cl- um, clients who are looking towards that or maybe who are actually suffering from the basic abuse of it? So we definitely have... Um... A few of my clients, I will refer them to a psychiatrist and say that, yeah, I think they should be on some type of medication. Uh, I normally try to go herbal first. I definitely do have one or two clients that CBD oil has really good for them and just rubbing it on the temples of their foreheads. Oh, wow. Yeah, or just, you know, rubbing it on their hands and kind of massaging it in uh, gives them like a sense of relaxation and a sense of peace. Um, so I'm definitely for CBD oil or aromatherapy. Um, I would do those two things before I automatically say taking some type of psychotropic medication. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, I do have uh, the patients who may actually smoke marijuana Um use that as a way to relax and that's fine but one of the things i say is so when you get off that high you still got a problem to deal with exactly yeah it's true it, just it like because you smoked it and it made you feel good for the moment doesn't mean your problems went away and that's one of the biggest things that i try to put out there exactly so just to talk about me so i right before quarantine i was really in a bad spot and so much going on, I went to Aiden's cannabis um, cannabis doctor. Mm-hmm. I said, you know, I having a hard time functioning, going to work. Um, it's just been had a lot of sad moments. And I said, Sir, is there any way you could prescribe me like a specific strand that I could use to help me calm and help me, you know, get through the day? And she was the same thing you said. She's like, Nina, it's only a mandate. Yeah. 
Yeah. And you need to work out and have coping mechanisms. She's like, you know, if it's something you're having a panic attack at the time and you want to use it for that, but not something that's going to, you know, help you unless you really cope with your problems. And I, and I respect her for that. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's still looking over there. It's like, hey, when you ready, I'm here. Yeah, right. It's still going to be here. So I'm here. <laughs> so people use so basically people use it as not a gateway, but a getaway. Exactly. They try to get away from it, take their mind off of it for a little while, sometimes try to ignore it. It's really just an escape. Um, it's fine if in that moment you need to escape as long as you understand at some point. You have to confront reality. If you do not confront reality, it's going to be a bigger beast at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah, that's that. Because, like you said, if you have a quick panic attack and then you just want to get over that hump, but then yep. you have to know that you have to realize why, what triggered that. Yeah, what is at the core root? What have you seen as a core root for some people's anxieties? I would say, you know. Sometimes for children, it's actually their parents. <laughs> and my parents hate me when I say that. <laughs> you know what? I told them, I said, we got to stay with Aiden's therapy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not, none of us are perfect. Yeah, but at the same time, when we go to therapy, it's like, what's your problem? It's my child. <laughs> I'm like, no, the child is just a scapegoat. What's the real problem? <laughs> I don't understand my child. <laughs> But um, anxiety can, you know, there's so many things that can cause anxiety. From We want to talk about COVID-19 right now. Yes, yes. Oh, my God. Financial, right? Where's my next dollar going to come from? Could I lose my job? If I lose my job, am I good? I'm hearing I can't get unemployment right now because the lines are just long. You know, maybe I got to, like, rationalize my food and, and conserve my money and not pay rent. So, Financial stability is a huge anxiety for some. Um, that second is, you know, do, do I have COVID-19? Am I asymptomatic? Um, should I go <laughs> If I go outside, you know, am I the one that's counting? You got a mask. You don't got a mask. You got a mask. Like, yeah. And, and that's definitely anxiety provoking, sorry, for some. Um, so I think those are, are, are several big ones. If we weren't talking about COVID-19, um, work in general, some mm -hmm. stress for people, but now you're talking about working from home. And if you're a parent working from home, that means you're trying to parent, you're trying to check an email, yes. and trying to be pretty for the Zoom conference that you really don't want to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? That could have been an email. <laughs> that could have been an email. <laughs> but even beyond that, the uh, it's just that it was something that's thrusted on people, and so they haven't had time to cope with it. Yeah. It's almost like a sudden death. It's like, oh, my God, I didn't expect that. So how do I deal? I'm, like, still in a fog. But even as time has gone, I'm still in this fog and it hasn't become reality yet. Like, is this going to be forever? Yeah. And that's why I had a panic attack. I'm like, this is going to be a life book. Yeah. Like, how is this it? Like, is, is this. Are you seeing people being detached from reality or trying to cope with reality? 
I think it's a mixture of both. I think you have some that are definitely trying to detach from reality and they're just like, I'm going to act like nothing is is happening and I am going to stay in my house and I'm going to watch comedy and I'm going to, you know, listen, mm-hmm. get high, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. There's, there's still some fear. So even if subconsciously they're not thinking about it, they still have a hard time going to sleep. They still have a hard time getting through their checklist through the day. They don't want to get up out of the bed or move from the couch. Wow. You know? So you still see it in some form. Um, and then you have others that are like, I'm going to confront it. But because they don't have the appropriate coping mechanisms and maybe don't even know what they're confronting, that anxiety becomes intense. They have more repeated episodes uh, and there's just like this persistent worry. Wow. So in your field of seeing things the way you are, would you would you recommend that, you know, if you have a client that says, you know, what, I need something to just get me away from this for a moment so I can you know, regroup and just collect myself so I can deal. Would you say, hey, look, okay, I know about the CBD oil. Would you, you know, use some here. Let's rub it again. I mean, do you use that with all your patients or do you recommend it to them? Do you like, how do you approach them about using CBD oil? I think the first thing, because I want to find out if my patient is an avoidant or not. Mm. So first I would say, like, I want you to stay in the moment. I want you to tell me what your emotions are. When do you most experience this emotions? Mm -hmm. Um, Can you name some of your triggers? And if you can name your triggers, if you can name what triggers provoke what emotions, I would rather that you take that moment to concentrate on that, focus on that, journal it, um, figure out how can you reduce some of those things and do that first. But if I find like it's to the point where it is so bad that they can't even function, like they can't do anything, then I may say, okay, you know what? We've tried several methods. We've tried to stay in the moment. We've tried journaling. We've tried phoning a friend, you know, listening to music, all of the things. And you still have an anxiety to the point of maybe you're not even trying to walk out your front door just to go get mail. Then Let's look at maybe CBD oil or or something along those lines before I would still say psychotropic medication. Yes, psychotropic. Yeah, because in the news lately, um, mushrooms are being used. uh, Pisocybin is being used now as a way of treating with anxiety, stress, and all those things. But that's also a temporary, let me get away from reality for a bit. Yeah, it's, it's a temporary, temporary fix. It's a temporary fix. And, you know, even with some of those psychotropics, I'm not going to say that they're not good, but they come with their issues because after that, you could end up having heart disease. You could have thyroid problems. You gain all this massive weight. Um, so many things can happen with some of those medications where I say, you know, let's yeah. try to not go there first. Don't let that be your first response. Got it. Try to deal with the issue because if you can deal with the issue and you feel that level of success, then the next time comes around, you're a little bit more focused. Like, oh, I could do this again. I got that like superhero power. Um, It's that it's a notion feeling like I can be successful. I can succeed. 
And you don't get that when you rely on other types of medications or drugs. Yeah. That's what they need, a sense of power. So a lot of the issues that you've seen with your uh, patients is just that they tend to get in their own way, really. It's just that their anxiety has gotten, that voice of their anxiety and fear has gotten so great, it's the only thing that exists. It's like they don't even know where they are, where they, like where they begin or end in between those emotions. Yeah, I think I want to say 85% of people get in their own way, right? You know what the problem is and you do not remove that problem from your life, right? You know what the issue is and yet you still continue to do it. Or you're starting to realize that when you're around certain people, it's just a negative energy. Um, But then you don't you don't remove them from your life or you don't talk about it because if it's your child or your partner, I'm not saying, especially if it's a marriage, automatically get away. But then maybe the two of you need to sit down and have a real open conversation where it's just like, whenever we talk about this, this is what happens. I need you to pay more attention. I need you to listen to me. I feel like you're not hearing me out. I feel like when I talk to you, you're watching TV or you're multitasking. Are you in my house? <laughs> Holy cow! Sound like Nina. Oh, that's a script. Did you guys talk before this? Nina, I got you. I got you. Oh my! Why? It seems like you guys are already on the same page. Want to get the hammer right now? Wow! I'm listening to you. I'm like, what? Hold on. This is last night. <laughs> Oh, oh my goodness. I'm not watching TV anymore. But go ahead, Kitty. I'm sorry. <laughs> but you have to have that level of transparency with your partner to be able to get to a place where you both can build on whatever that is and work it out together. And sometimes, especially people with anxiety or depression, if they truly feel like they have someone that's supporting them and working with them, they are more likely to say, okay, let me try. Not to say that there aren't days where they're just like, forget it, I don't want to do it. They're more likely to push through when they know that there's somebody on the other end that's like, I got you, babe. I got you. I'm here. Yeah, I didn't get that part yet. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like that's what you want me to say, but I haven't got to that. I still got that wall. I'm getting in my own way. <laughs> I'm saying, even if you don't understand it, even if you don't understand it, but sometimes it's just hearing it and knowing, like, oh, okay. You know, it goes back to like sometimes if you see Nina is cooking or doing something, you go and say, you know, babe, do you want me wash dishes? Do you want me clean down the counter? You might not even want to do that. And she may not want your help because she's like, oh, a size can't wash dishes. But just the notion of you saying it, it's just like, oh, wow, he's being thoughtful. He cares. You know, he took some time to notice me and realize that I'm doing a lot. You know, it's I, I may need to come see you because I don't see it happening, but I'll come and see you though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on it. I'm working on it. It's, I'm a work in progress, okay? <laughs> baby steps, baby steps, please. Baby steps. We, we can do that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but I hear you. And for relationships that you are able to get through them, what is the like the end result for them? Do they stay together? 
or do they separate realize that you know what we it has been great i know it's been rough but we, we we're not right for each other so far i only had one that ended up in the we're not right for each other and i actually agreed with them yeah yeah you both are best going in separate directions um there was a lot of domestic violence there there's actually a heavy use of drugs both mushrooms oh. um, wanna um and it was just a constant they would get really combative they would get physical and they just could not hear each other at all it was either my way or no way wow concept so they were they were just basically dealing with a lot of demons and it was just coming and play itself out between the two Oh, absolutely. And a lot of it was deeply rooted in their own past. Um, relationships, whether it was uh, relationships with parental figures, uh, past relationships with a, another loved one that didn't go well and they didn't resolve it. And then they automatically jumped into a relationship together. They knew each other less than a year, got married. And I think they both learned each other once they married. It was just like, wait, who are you? Yeah, right? <laughs> where, where, do you, where do you come from? Do you cook? What do you you know the same girl I went on a date with? <laughs> what we went on to? <laughs> like, it was just a one night stand. How did we get married? <laughs> oh my God. And, and as you're seeing this, not for you on your end as, as a professional, taking in all this, how do you stay grounded? Ah, uh, you know that 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 is a, a good question. I would say I'm 18 years in now. When I first started, I think I took it all home. I was yeah. definitely uh, going of like, what should I've done? Should I've done something differently? Maybe I should call them. All of these things would go through my head, and I would ruminate over it. I have now learned, look, these are people that need to learn to be independent. They can't be dependent on me. They have to learn to figure it out. I give you the resources and it's up to you to make that choice, right? But the choice at the end of the day is on you. Um, one of the things that I did do, I recently moved to my place um, five years ago and everybody was laughing at me because I made the choice not to put a TV in my bedroom. And they were like, yeah. You do that. And I'll say, because I really need to have one place that's just peaceful. Like I go there to sleep, enjoy, and not think about anything. I don't work in my bedroom. I don't watch TV in my bedroom. I don't eat in my bedroom. It's the one place where I feel like I can just be relaxed and I could be Alicia, right? Yes. Um, and, and I think you need that. And, and I learned to live. I've learned that I have to separate my professional from my personal. So I, I like to say there's Miss Wilson, which is a therapist, and then there's Alicia, and let me live my life. Yeah, yeah. Because your profession is not easy. I mean, between psychologists, psychiatrists, where you listen to all of the world's burdens that come in and you hear their stories. I could, I could imagine you, like, you go home and it's like, you, you hear it even in your thoughts when you're at home and you're like, oh my God, I need to disconnect. Yeah. Yeah. You, I definitely need to disconnect. I try not to watch anything too serious. Mm -hmm. TV, because it just makes you laugh and you don't got to think about anything. Thank you. 
So, let me ask a question, though. So, that's. Side note, I get someone is like me watching my reality TV. That's some serious junk food. That's like, that's like poison for the brain. Same thing, because I work in the hospital. And yeah. Three year olds with cancer. I've seen family members crying or sudden death. So, when I come home, I don't want to watch things like that again in a movie. I want to watch junk food. So, you're looking to detach? Yeah, absolutely. So, in your position, would you consider using uh, some CBD oil or maybe have a pipe or something of that nature to help you detach? So, you know what's so funny? I've actually never used uh, CBD oil. I've only learned about it from uh, patients who have recommended it over and over and over again. For myself, I've definitely been, I'm a talker. So <laughs> and, and talk, I'll talk your ears up until you like Alicia, like our time is up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, one more thing. <laughs> I am that I am a music lover. I have nothing dancing through this house. Like I'm a mad woman um, and light some candles, you know, give me my little glass of wine and I'm good to go. Okay. I actually, huh? You find your release. Yeah, I, I, I think I've learned my ways of coping. And trust me, I didn't learn that overnight. It took me years to figure out what works for me. Um, and maybe five years from now, I may say something different. But right now, you know, I'm rooted in that. And I definitely will say that prayer, too. You know, I definitely do pray. Sometimes I just got to be like, I can't deal with this. Give it give it to God. Exactly. But, what would you say is the most like proudest moment of you working with people? Like one of those moments where you worked with someone and it just like left you sitting in tears because you saw the transformation. Like what was that moment? I have um, a client, no longer my client um, who learned that she was HIV positive at the age of 22. And the day that she learned was a day that I was not in the office and I was not answering my phone. Um, and she'd gotten to a place where she's like, I don't want to call my mother. I don't want to call anyone and tell them that I'm HIV positive. And she had decided she was going to go take her life. Um, and it so happened that she decided to call me one more time. And we stayed on the phone for hours. I We had to have been on the phone for maybe four, five hours until she finally fell asleep. Um, and the next day she met me and she went to the hospital and, you know, she actually admitted herself for a little while. Um, and it took us maybe two years of therapy to get her to a place where she could cope with the fact that she was HIV positive. Um, but she was at that place where she had the plan. She was making herself, uh, making her way up to the rooftop. She was just gonna, you know, say goodbye to this life. Mm -hmm. um, and it really felt to say like, wow, I, I did that. Like I helped somebody to decide that their life was worth living. Um, even though I have no idea what it's like to live with HIV. And to be honest, Nina Cyrus, there, there was moments when I was talking, I was like, I don't know what to say. How do yeah. I, it's okay to live with HIV because I know it's not. How do I, you know, do I say that it's going to 
better. I don't know that it's going to get better. Um, and really at moments lost for words and just saying, I just need to be there. I just need to listen. I need to tell her it's okay to cry, you know, and it's okay to be angry and go through all the emotions that she went through that night. Um, and say, I'm going to be here for you as best as I can. Um, and it, it, it seems to help, but there are definitely moments when, you know, a client is talking and you're like, I don't know that I have the right words. Or, you know, this does sound real textbook and this is someone's reality. They, yeah. they need to hear the textbook jargon. I need to just be real. And I think over the last several years, I've learned to just be straightforward and become a straight shooter um, and not textbook savvy. Uh, and that's really helped me to build some really trusting relationships with my my clients. And at this point, I'm 90% uh, referring where other clients are saying, oh, I got a therapist for you, and she's a black woman. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. There's not that many. So the ones that are relatable, because I think there's a stigma in the idea that, you know, people of color don't go see shrinks, or that's not something of a norm, let alone that not many people of color are shrinks, or people of social worker background experience. In Absolutely. So, yeah, because it's a trust thing. And plus, also for us, it's a pride thing, too. Oh, yep. we don't go to that for help. I we think we handle it in house. Yeah, absolutely. My mom's from Haitian descent, and I, when I went to a counselor, she was like, "Just pray," and I'm like, "Yes, but there's other, you know, for her, you, you don't go to speak to anybody. You just pray. You speak to God. That's it." Yeah. 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 So it's a, it's a West Indian thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, very much. It's definitely a West Indian thing, and I think Nina's right. We, we definitely have this. Uh, just pray. And I definitely think, yes, pray, but you still got to talk to somebody, right? You got to take action. <laughs> exactly. And in your prayer, it may be God saying, you need to go get professional. Gave him purpose. Maybe he might be telling me if I listen to the prayer, that goes on. <laughs> <laughs> but it was crazy. I'm not trying to mock. I'm definitely not here to mock. Um, yeah, the religion, but the fact is traditions and parents. It's not, I'm not here for that, but I'm just like pointing that out. That that's why some may not do it. Seek out help. Yeah, and they live with it too. That's just and they live with it. yeah. Uh, Alicia, uh, my dear, I thank you very much for your time. I you shared so much, and it's just the insight is very helpful in us in thinking things forward. I don't know about the part about asking if I want to help clean dishes or help the court. <laughs> that's like that's like two, three therapy sessions. And that's just a prerequisite <laughs> before I face it. <laughs> but for the most part, I definitely uh, appreciate you for that, for coming on and sharing with us um, your experiences and things you're doing. And um, where can um, how do you market your private practice? Is it just word of mouth or do you have a website or Yeah, share with us so we can get that out for you. No, definitely. So I'm gonna definitely give you my um email is ms dot Alicia A L I C I A Wilson at gmail.com. Uh right actually going through a, a place called Brooklyn Center for Psychotherapy where they get my clients for me and then I sign them up. But I am working since we're in quarantine, I am working on my own website. So that'll be coming soon. But, awesome. Yes, thank you. So right now, if those are interested, definitely they can shoot me an email and then I will put them through the process. 
Okay. Now you work with um, both individuals as well as uh, couples? Yes, I do both. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. I'm not coming. I'm just saying, I was just asking for Anita. Great. Anita can go by herself. You got to go with her. She got an Uber. <laughs> you know what? I'm sorry. I'm going to need you to come first. Okay. I think you're not the issue. <laughs> not the issue. <laughs> okay. Nina's not the issue. No. Wink, wink. wink. <laughs> Nope, not at all. Sorry. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about it. But again, Hi. thank you so very much. much. And uh, also, thank you for what you do because it means so much to so many people that you are touching and that you're helping. Uh, I wish you all the strength in life to keep doing what you're doing because it's not easy. I can only imagine uh, the things that you've seen and heard and dealt with. But to have you continue doing what you're doing, it's a blessing and it's awesome gift as well. So uh, thank you for what you do. Thank you so much, guys. And thank you for bringing me on. I truly appreciate it. Love the conversation. And hopefully we can do it again soon. Yes, well, definitely. Probably after this thing's all over, it's like, okay, how many people you have left for your <laughs> I'm like, ah, I got this 13-inch beard. Can we just see what we're going to do from here? There you go. I love it. <laughs> All right. Thank you. All right, guys. Good right. talking to you. You too. Be well. Be well. Same to you. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in. Another episode of Love and Cannabis. I'm Osiris Stephens. And I'm Nina Simmons. Be strong. And stay empowered. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.